Hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. Now in this episode of our sermon, we're going to be continuing to talk about what's next for us all as we continue to live through this worldwide pandemic. And let's just be honest here. We all know that with a virus like the coronavirus that has infected millions of people worldwide and killed hundreds of thousands, that there's no way that this virus isn't going to change our lives forever. The problem is that none of us know just how much it's going to change our lives. And there's nobody that can tell us. There's nobody that can predict what the future holds for us all. Instead, it's the choices that you and I are going to make that will shape our new normal. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about one of the most important choices that we can make. And that's about our mindset when it comes to all of the changes that we're going to be facing. So let's get right into this episode sermon. So last week, we started into a new series of sermons where we're talking about what's next for us all as we continue to live through this worldwide pandemic. And we all want to know what's next because we all know that our lives are going to be different after the coronavirus. There's just no way that a novel virus that has infected over 6 million people across the globe and contributed to the deaths of more than 400,000 people wouldn't change our lives forever. We just don't know how much the coronavirus will affect our lives going forward. So we all want to know what's next. But like I told you last week, I'm not a fortune teller, and I don't have a crystal ball to show me everything that the future holds. And nobody else does either. So nobody knows exactly how the coronavirus will affect our lives as we enter into our new normal. No one knows exactly what's next for our world or for us. And there's a reason for that. No one can tell you exactly what's next for us because God gave us all this wonderful thing called free will. So the choices that you make and the choices that I make in the coming days and weeks and months and yes, maybe even years, are what will shape our new normal. So that's really what we're talking about at Melbourne Heights right now. We're not just talking about what's next for us. We're also talking about the choices that we'll make that will shape our new normal. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the choices that we'll make about our money. And we're going to talk about the choices that we'll make about the way that we interact with other people. And we're going to talk about the choices that the church will make that will shape what we do as we go forward together as well. But before we get into any of those choices, I want to spend our time together today talking about our mentality when we think about all of these choices. Because here's the truth for you. We're going to face choices in a lot more areas of our lives than our finances and our relationships and even the way that we do church going forward. The coronavirus, it's going to impact every area of our lives. So I want to give you a way to think about every choice that you're going to face and not just the couple of areas that I can cover during this sermon series. So in a way, what we're going to be talking about today, it might just be the most important choice that you'll have to make that will shape your new normal. And that's because this choice is going to impact every other choice that you make. So here's what it is. Whenever you face a new choice, you'll have to decide if it's an obstacle to getting back to your old way of life or if it's an opportunity to create a better future. Whenever you face a choice, you'll have to decide if it's an obstacle to getting back to your old way of life or if it's an opportunity to create a better future. Now, let me give you an example to show you exactly what I mean. Not long after the coronavirus started to spread across the United States, most of our states were quick to implement some sort of stay-at-home policies. 
And part of these policies meant that we could not have face-to-face interactions with anyone who did not live under the same roof as us. So that presented us with a choice. Were these stay-at-home policies an obstacle that kept us from socializing with our family and our friends, or were they an opportunity to find a better way to stay connected in the future? Now, I'll admit that there have been plenty of times over the last few months when I have seen these policies as a huge obstacle. There have been times when all I've wanted to do, all I wish I could have done, was just go up and give my mom or my dad a hug, or share a meal with some of our church members after an in-person service wrapped up. But I've also seen how plenty of people have embraced these social distancing restrictions to find better ways to connect in the future. You know, I talked with one of our members who turned 90 years old during this whole pandemic, not long after our stay-at-home orders went into place. And she told me about the way that one of her grandkids had come over and helped her set up her new iPad, through the window, of course, since they couldn't be in direct contact with each other, so that she was able to stay in touch with her entire family. She went on to tell me that she had been talking with everybody over FaceTime, and she was just about ready to get on another call with another one of her grandkids who had just moved into a brand new house so that he could give her the tour over a video call. So stay-at-home restrictions? They gave this person a new way to stay in touch with her family. And that's just one example that I've heard about. I can also tell you that my own mom and her siblings have set up a regular conference call with my grandpa every Sunday night. Now, my mom's family, they're kind of spread out all over the place. So there have been times when she has gone weeks or even months without talking with some of her siblings. But now? Well, now they get together every single Sunday night, and they hope to keep on doing this long after the coronavirus has been contained. So instead of seeing our stay-at-home policies as an obstacle that's been restricting our relationship with our family and our friends, there are plenty of people who have found that these stay-at-home policies have given us an opportunity. An opportunity to find new ways to connect even when we can't be together in person. And these new opportunities to connect, they're going to be a way that helps us make our new normal better than our old normal ever was. And that's really what we all want. We all want our new normal to be better than our old normal. We want to be better connected with our family and our friends in the future than we ever were in the past. And we want to be able to handle the ups and the downs of our economy better in the future than we were in the past too. And from the church side of things, we want to be able to reach out to more people with the good news of Jesus in the future than we've ever done in the past. We all want our new normal to be better than our old normal. But for that to happen, we have to decide if the choices that we face are obstacles or opportunities. But if we're being completely honest with ourselves, we usually do a better job of seeing the obstacle than we do seeing the opportunity. And that's definitely the case in the story that we're going to be reading this morning. Now, the passage that we're going to be looking at today, it comes from the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 13. And it's actually one of my favorite stories inside of the entire Bible. So if you've been following us for long, you may have heard me preach on this before. But before we get into the story, I want to set the stage for you just a little bit more. Now, I just told you that this story comes from the book of Numbers. In Numbers, it's toward the beginning of the Bible. You've got the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then you have the book of Numbers. 
And we call this book Numbers because of two different censuses that take place in this book. There are two times when the people of Israel are literally numbered. But that makes this book sound so boring that most of us never bother to actually read it. I mean, just be honest with yourself. If you were scrolling through Amazon and you came across a book that was called Numbers, are you actually going to click on the link and see what that book is all about? Or are you going to just keep on scrolling, wondering what in the world Amazon was thinking, recommending this book to you in the first place? I mean, that's just the truth. But the book of Numbers, well, it's about so much more than just a couple of censuses that take place. This book tells us the incredible story of how the people of Israel survived in the wilderness before they were finally able to enter into the land that God had promised them and their ancestors after they were released from their slavery in Egypt. And in the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, well, we're going to find the people of Israel are on the verge of entering into that promised land after they were freed from their slavery. But before the people enter into the land, God has some instructions for them. So with all of that in mind, let's start reading together in Numbers chapter 13, and we'll start reading in verse 1. Here's what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one man from each ancestral tribe, each a chief among them. So Moses sent them out from the Paran Desert, according to the Lord's command. All right, so before the people of Israel can enter into the land of Canaan, that's the land that God had promised them and their ancestors, God tells the people to send out a small group to explore this new land. And what exactly are they looking for as they explore the land? Well, Moses tells us when we pick back up in verse 17. Here's what it says. When Moses sent them out to explore the land of Canaan, he sent them to go up there into the arid southern plains and into the mountains. You must inspect the land. What is it like? Are the people who live in it strong or weak, few or many? Is the land in which they live good or bad? Are the towns in which they live camps or fortresses? Is the land rich or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Be courageous and bring back the land's fruit. It was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land. So Moses sends this group to explore. And he wants them to come back with a full report of what they find there. He even wants them to bring back some samples of the fruit that they find there, like these guys were just visiting Sam's Club on a Saturday morning, you know, when Sam's Club was still able to pass out all those great free samples. But have you ever stopped to wonder, why? Why do these men need to go and explore the land that God has promised them in the first place? Why did God instruct Moses to send this group to begin with? Now, some people might tell you that it was just a good military tactic to have this group scout out the promised land before everyone entered into it. After all, Moses and Aaron and anybody else that might be called upon to lead these people into battle, they needed to know where their enemies lived and how big their armies were and how fortified their cities were. But remember, God, God is sending the people of Israel into the promised land. Do you really think that God needs a report from these explorers to guarantee their victory there? I mean, this is the same God who in the story of Gideon inside of the book of Judges, he defeats an army of 135,000 soldiers with just 300 ordinary men. 
So if sending the explorers wasn't a military tactic, then why did they go? Well, here's why. God knew that the people of Israel were standing on the verge of their new normal. They had just been freed from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, so there was no doubt that their lives were going to be changed forever. But the people of Israel, they needed to decide for themselves what their new normal was going to be like. So God tells Moses to send this group into the land that God has promised them so that this group could check everything out and then come back and tell all of the people of Israel about the opportunities that were awaiting them inside of the promised land. But, as we're about to see, it's not exactly what happens. As we keep reading in the book of Numbers, we're going to see two different ways that the explorers responded to what they saw in the promised land. Some of them saw opportunities, but some of them saw obstacles. So let's pick back up in verse 25. Here's what it says. They returned from exploring the land after 40 days. They went directly to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the Paran Desert at Kadesh. They brought back a report to them and to the entire community and showed them the land's fruit. Then they gave their report. We entered the land to which you sent us. It's actually full of milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So in this part of the story, the explorers come back. And they start by telling Moses and everybody else about the opportunities in this new land. They tell everybody about how wonderful the land is. They say that it is actually full of milk and honey. And they give a single cluster of grapes that it took two men to carry. Now, I don't know how that sounds to you. But that sounds like an incredible opportunity to me. And for the people of Israel, it must have sounded like heaven on earth. Remember... They have been living out in the wilderness for more than a year at this point, and they haven't had much to eat there besides something called manna. And the Bible tells us that manna, well, it was like coriander seed, and it was white, and it tasted like honey wafers. So I kind of think of manna as being like the honeycomb cereal that you used to eat when you were a kid. And that's all that the people of Israel had had to eat. But now, Now they're standing on the cusp of entering into a land that is filled with milk and honey and grapes that were bigger than your fist. But everything doesn't stay all milk and honey for long in the story. Because in the very next verse, the explorers are going to tell the people, There are, however, powerful people who live in the land. The cities have huge fortifications. And we even saw the descendants of the Anakites there. The Amalekites live in the land of the arid southern plain. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites, they live in the mountains. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. Now, I want you to pay attention to this next part. Because this next part is where we're going to see the two different ways that the explorers responded to the situation. So we'll pick back up in verse 30, where we read, Now Caleb calmed the people before Moses and said, We must go up and take possession of it because we are more than able to do it. But the men who went up with him said, We can't go up against the people, because they're stronger than we are. So they started a rumor about the land that they had explored, telling the Israelites, The land that we crossed over to explore is a land that devours its residents. All the people we saw in it are huge men, 
We saw there the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers, and that's how we appeared to them. So in these verses, you have Caleb, and then you have the other men that explored the promised land with him. The men that explored the land with him, they saw nothing but obstacles. All they could think about were the other people that were already living in that promised land. People that were so big that the explorers felt like tiny little grasshoppers in their sight. But not Caleb. Caleb sees the, the, the opportunity and he says, We must go up and take possession of the land. Even though Caleb had just explored the exact same land that the other men had explored, even though Caleb had just seen the exact same people that the rest of his group were scared to face, even though Caleb had every reason to agree that the promised land was really just a great big obstacle that was standing in the way of the people of Israel reaching the normal lives that they all wanted to live, Caleb chose to see the opportunity instead. Caleb chose to see the land that was flowing with milk and honey. Caleb chose to see the land with grapes that are as big as your fist. Caleb chose to see a brighter future for himself and all of Israel. Caleb chose to see it as an opportunity. And there's a big reason why Caleb was able to see the opportunity. And another person in the group, he actually articulates what that reason was just a little bit later on in the book of Numbers. In Numbers chapter 14, as the people of Israel are trying to decide if the promised land is really an obstacle or an opportunity for them, Joshua stands up, and here's what he says. He says, If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us into this land and give it to us. Joshua says, If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us into this land and give it to us. Or to put it another way for you, Joshua says, If God is with us, then there are no obstacles. If God is with us, then there are no obstacles. You see, God didn't see it as an obstacle when Abraham and Sarah were too old to have kids. God saw it as an opportunity to do something for Abraham and Sarah that no one else could have ever done. And God didn't see it as an obstacle when Joseph's brothers threw him down into a broken cistern and sold him off into slavery. God saw it as an opportunity to bring Joseph down to Egypt where he could save Joseph and his family's life when a famine hit their land. And God didn't see it as an obstacle when the people of Israel were fleeing from Egypt after finally being released from 400 years of slavery there and the people were stuck between a great big sea and an army that was out to get them and drag them back. God saw it as an opportunity to part the sea and to defeat the Egyptians once and for all. And God wouldn't see it as an obstacle once the people of Israel finally entered into the promised land and they were confronted by an enemy army that was hiding behind a great big wall there. God saw it as an opportunity to knock that wall down so that everyone would know what our God is capable of. And God wouldn't see it as an obstacle when a giant who was nearly 10 feet tall was terrorizing the people of Israel. God saw it as an opportunity for a little shepherd boy to fling a stone to fall that giant and send all of God's enemies scattering. And God wouldn't see it as an obstacle when the people of Israel were invaded by an outside king who got tricked into throwing one of God's followers down into a lion's den. 
God saw it as an opportunity to close up the mouths of all of those lions and to shut the mouths of anyone who doubted the power of our God. And God didn't see it as an obstacle when he sent his one and only son into this world. And the people of this world decided that they wanted to put his son up onto a cross. God saw it as an opportunity to raise his son out of the tomb so that nothing can ever separate us from God again. So if God is with us, then there are no obstacles. Because God doesn't see obstacles, God creates opportunities. And right now, God is showing us what might just be the biggest opportunity that we will ever see in our lifetimes. God is showing us an opportunity to press reset on our world, to fix everything that was wrong with our old reality so that our new normal will be better than anything that we've experienced before. So now is the chance for us to learn from our mistakes. Now is the chance for us to change our priorities. Now is the chance for us to right so many wrongs from our past. But we can't do that. We can't do that if we're still holding out hope that things will just go back to being exactly like they were before. And we can't do that if we keep longing for a past that wasn't really as great as we remember it anyway. And we can't do that if we see this great opportunity as nothing more than an obstacle that's keeping us from the only life that we've ever known. Now sadly, that's what the people of Israel chose to do in the story that we just read. They chose to ignore the opportunity and to focus on the obstacles instead. And they paid the price for it. They were never able to enter into that promised land. They never got to experience that new normal for themselves. And today, you and I, we face the same choice that the people of Israel faced. So you can see what's happening in our world right now as an obstacle or as an opportunity. But if you hope that your life is better, and that our world is better in the future, then you better decide to see the opportunities instead of the obstacles. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you now in this time of prayer, you know what is happening in the world around us right now, God. You know how much everything has changed over the last three and a half months as the coronavirus has spread across our country. You know that our economy has been shut down that tens of millions of people have lost their jobs. You know about all of the toll that this has taken on the physicality, the lives of so many people, God. You know about every impact, every effect that the coronavirus has had in our world. God, you know that we are in the midst of entering into a new reality. So God, my prayer is that you help each of us to think about every choice that we're going to make in the future. Every choice that we're going to make as our lives start returning to some semblance of normal. Help us to see that every choice that we make depends on the mentality that we have about these choices. Do we see obstacles, God? Obstacles that are keeping us from getting back to the life that we knew before? Or do we see opportunities to create a better normal in the future? God, open our eyes so that we can see the opportunities ahead of us instead of the obstacles. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode sermon has made you think about not just all of the choices that you're going to be facing and I'm going to be facing and we're all going to be facing as we shape our new normal, but I hope it's also made you think about your mindset because every choice that we're going to face could be an obstacle or it could be an opportunity. But I think it's a great opportunity for us to make our new normal better than our old normal. Now, in next week's episode, we are going to continue talking about what's next for us. And the choice that we're going to be talking about next week is about our relationship with money. So I hope you tune back in next Sunday at noon when our next episode drops. If you haven't done so yet, let me encourage you to subscribe to our podcast so that it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app whenever a new episode drops. Also, if you haven't had a chance to do it yet, go ahead and leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast at. Your reviews mean a whole lot to us and they can help get the word out about this podcast to other people. And if you're looking for a place where you can come and worship, let me invite you to join us online every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time at Melbourne Heights. You can join us at mhbclouisville.com slash live. I hope that you guys have a great week this week, and we will see you back here next Sunday for another sermon podcast.